Welcome to Chowder and Grits. I am Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Sunday, December 30th, and we are rapidly approaching 2019. Tim, are you ready for that? Oh, I, new year, new me, Justin. I can't wait. I've got so many resolutions that I will proclaim and then not follow through with. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, so how, how were the holidays? They were good. You know, having a kid puts a different spin on the holiday season and, and Christmas. So, um, you know, you get to see the Christmas through the kids' eyes, and that's always fun. I got really frustrated building a Disney princess wagon the night before Christmas. Yeah. So that was awesome. I feel like that's a tradition. You know, I have a little eggnog and get really frustrated at the lack of instructions provided. Uh, but we pieced it together, and it turns out Audrey enjoys pulling the wagon as opposed to riding in it. So. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, my, my favorite part about putting kids' toys together is, you know, one thing, you can't figure out how to do it. And then you go onto YouTube and watch the assembly, and they make it look so easy. And they use words like snap and insert. <laughs> and then that really infuriates you because oh, yeah. it's not that easy. Well, see, the more infuriating part was I did a YouTube venture, and there weren't many people building this specific wagon that we got. Um, and I did find one person with a heavy accent, and it turns out he built the wagon incorrectly, which I found out halfway through my build. Um, so fun times, man. Yeah. Fun time. Yeah, I got to tell you, just packing up the car, we went to Tennessee and, you know, got got a one-year-old and just the sheer amount of volume of just random crap that <laughs> you have to pack. <laughs> it's like we have, yeah. a three, we have a three-row SUV. and. I'm pretty sure it's not big enough. I'm like, what What else do I need to get here to to make this happen? But that kind of reminds yeah. me, do you do you have a minivan now? I, I do. I'm the proud owner oh. of a Dodge Grand Caravan. Oh, my um, goodness. And let me tell you, I don't drive. It's not my day to day. No, hold on. So hold on. for me, did you yeah, did ahead. you present this with a big red bow? Was this like one of those Lexus commercials? No, no, no it's a it's a Grand Caravan. God, that would be the saddest present of all time. <laughs> um, no, we we got the uh, got the van in preparation for you know life events that are bound to happen. Audrey, I'm sure, is going to be into soccer and maybe another kid. And um, Kristen's car before the minivan was just too small, so. The minivan, I you know, not my day to day, but I drove it for the trip to, up to Virginia, and holy fantastic! Let me tell you, convenience is through the roof with those just all around utility vehicles, throwing seats down, packing in Disney princess wagons and five hundred other presents. I mean, we were loaded to the gills in that thing. I don't know how we would have gotten by with anything else. Well, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, I'm glad that you had your own little Lexus. Red ribbon <laughs> presentation. But uh yeah, so that kind of leads us into into what what your best Christmas gift of all time was. Mm-hmm. W yeah, mine's a no brainer. Okay. Mine was a Sega Genesis and I think it was ninety two or ninety three. Um we were at my grandparents' house and this was back before I knew really what new consoles were. I had a Nintendo, um, an NES for, you know, the first portion of my life. And, um, yeah, I saw the Genesis, didn't know what it was, plugged it in. I was obsessed with Jurassic Park at the time. And my father got me Jurassic Park on Christmas to go with the Genesis. And I, nothing will ever top that from a sheer, uh, fun perspective for me. How about you? 
Yeah, you know, I uh, I was more of a PlayStation original guy. Um, sure. That, that was a big one for me. And then, um, you know, a little bit simpler, but also a lot of fun. Rock'em Sock'em Robots, one of my oh, personal man. faves. What a classic. Hours of entertainment with two plastic robots. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that kind of leads us into recapping all the ACC bowl action that's been going on. So holiday season is a bowl season. Uh, the ACC's been busy, been showing off better than I expected. Um, one Bang. thing I did want to, one thing I did want to hit on first. Um, it's been a while since we had a podcast. We lost a podcast with the service that we're using. Um, unfortunately, so we don't, we didn't, um, bring you anything for a while but in that we did talk a bit about recapping early recruiting uh, so we will redo that for you and bring that to you after bowl season so i think we had a lot of good uh good tidbits and that'll kind of lead us up to the actual uh actual recruiting deadline that is in first week of february so yeah we can have a, a signing day celebration bonanza blowout it'll be fantastic yeah exactly uh so last night uh Saturday we had the college football playoff and uh not the most exciting games that we've Jeez. seen all year uh, I mean let's start with the Cotton Bowl with Clemson and, and Notre Dame and I mean absolute Jeez. domination by Clemson bloodbath bloodbath Trevor I mean, Lawrence looked incredible you know what I was really surprised about was how how much they put the game into Trevor Lawrence's hands pretty much immediately. Like they, they came out firing with Lawrence. They, they only had about 42, 49 rushing yards late in the third, early in the fourth quarter before ETN broke that huge 62 yard run. And then I think they ended up with over 200 for the game, but it was just kind of garbage time trying to run out the clock. I mean, they, rode on Lawrence's back and he did not disappoint 27 for 39 327 three touchdowns and uh another freshman that really stood out for me it was kind of Justin Ross's coming out party mm-hmm. as game of the year six catches 148 two touchdowns and so that might be a Peyton Manning to Marvin Harrison type tandem for the next two years in Clemson before these guys can go pro that's going to be something to watch yeah man they, they look good. Etienne didn't really have a whole lot to do. He hardly touched the ball. Um, you know, he had that, he had a long, you know, 62 yard run, obviously. But other than that, he was fairly quiet. That helped bump his average up. Um, Hunter Renfro had a solid game. Uh, as usual, Hunter Renfro, our favorite eighth year senior. Um, hopefully he graduates at some point and moves on with his life. Um, you know, I'm sure he's got a, a family of five to feed, so he probably needs to get to work. Um, but yeah, good to see Clemson doing what we thought Clemson would do. Um, I don't think I expected them to punish Notre Dame quite as bad. I thought Ian Book would be more effective than he was. Um, you know, and certainly when the game started, you know, the first five or six minutes of the game, it looked like that Notre Dame defense that we expected to give Trevor Lawrence problems was going to do that. And man, they couldn't slow him down really outside of that. So tough game for them. Yeah, you know, I was I was really surprised as to how bad Notre Dame played. Um, they just continue to disappoint in these big primetime matchups with a lot on the line. And, you know, the game was pretty close. 
in the first half there until Julian Love went out of the game. And that really killed the secondary. And Clemson had two long touchdowns while he was out. He was out with a head injury. He did end up coming back in. Uh, But Notre Dame just couldn't stop the big play. Clemson's wide receivers were winning every matchup in the secondary. They were bigger. They were faster. Um, Outside of Julian Love, uh, Clemson or uh, Notre Dame just could not get a favorable matchup in the secondary. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 like an advent calendar, you know, a, a dreidel. It's a tradition, man, a holiday tradition. Notre Dame underperforming in primetime games is becoming, you know, kind of heartwarming in a way, signifying the the change of seasons and the new year. It's kind of nice. Yeah, and so, I mean, I thought this game would be closer than it was. I still thought Clemson was going to win. Um, you, and, you know, I, I think a lot of the rhetoric, especially on Twitter and the media, is Notre Dame doesn't belong. You know, should there be another team in the playoff, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and to me, I think you look at these two teams on paper. Notre Dame had a top 28 offense and a top mm-hmm. 25 defense. Clemson was top five in both. Right. And that showed. It showed. And Clemson was elite, is elite at every position. They have mm-hmm. NFL talent everywhere you look. Notre Dame does not. And that is yeah. what really kind of showed out. And to me, it's Clemson and Alabama. Yep. They have the most talent in college football. It's not a shock that they're going to meet in the in the national championship for the third time in four years. I mean, they're just yeah. clearly head and heels above everybody else in college football yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, they've made that transition. They've ascended. Uh, both of those programs have to the point where, um, you know, they're almost in a tier by themselves at this point when it comes to talent, um, preparation and execution. It's uh, it's getting a little scary, but, you know, things are cyclical in college football. Um, there's a lot of teams recruiting well and fighting for the top spot. And hopefully we uh, get an 18 playoff and, and get somebody to go in there and knock off one of those two in the future. But um, before then, you know, we'll look forward to the game. So you said something there that really stood out to me. You said talent, preparation, and execution. Yeah. So there are other teams that have lots of talent. Mm-hmm. But nobody prepares and executes like these two teams do. They and don't come out flat, ever. It just, they don't come out flat. They don't blow leads. Mm-hmm. They don't lose games that they're supposed to win. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Georgia, okay? And we'll talk about them in a second, but... You know, Georgia may have the talent that these two programs do. Maybe not Absolutely. at every position, but they definitely got talent. But mm-hmm. they're not executing on a consistent basis. No. They're not. Maybe they are preparing that well. They're just not getting the wins on the field that they that they need to do consistently to to be in the playoff every year. So I think right. uh, I think we're starting. And, to and see that's that. why it's, it it tells you it's not just a talent thing either. Um, because on the flip side of that, you look at Georgia. Look at LSU. Man, if we're talking straight talent, LSU just rakes it in every year. And, you know, for the past 15 or so years, outside of one or two years, they've really not lived up to the expectations um, or the hype that those kind of that that kind of talent should uh, should produce as far as re- results go. So um, when you hit that consistent level of just preparation, you're coming out strong every game mixed with talent. Mixed with the coaching, it, you get to a point where it's it's really suffocating um, when you go out there and you you trounce teams because let's face it, it's Clemson and Alabama and everybody else in the NCAA right now. 
So that leads us to the Alabama OU game. And the way this game started was something that you thought could definitely happen, but you kind of didn't think it would. Alabama got out to a 28 nothing lead right off the bat, scored on their first four drives, scored all touchdowns. Uh, OU was struggling to move the ball at first, but then, you know, to me, Kyler Murray proved why he was the Heisman Trophy winner in this game. Yeah. He, he could not be stopped consistently no. by the Alabama defense. And, you know, you had some idiots on Twitter oh and in the media saying Tua should have been that. Are, are you kidding me? Yeah, Tua was I'm going so up, glad you're saying this. Yeah. Tua was going up against the 108 defense in FBS. Right. Murray was going up against the top 10 defense. Okay. Yeah. He was going up against the greatest football coach in college football history who had almost a month to prepare for him. And he mm-hmm. still put up over 400 total yards. He drugged that team kicking and screaming into covering the spread against Alabama. Kyler Murray had a hell of a football game against arguably the best defense in college football. And people are citing this, this win for Tua, who was surrounded by more talent on both sides of the football than Kyler Murray could ever hope for. They're citing this victory as the reason why Kyler Murray didn't deserve the Heisman. And if you look at the two stat lines and separate them, outside of Tua's ridiculous completion percentage, they were almost identical. I mean, Kyler Murray had an element to his running game that Tua didn't have. Kyler ran for over 100 yards. He averaged almost seven yards a carry. And we're going to sit here, couple with his over 300 yards and his two touchdowns in the air, and say that this is somehow an indicator that the Heisman Award was given to the wrong player. Blows my mind. If anything, what Kyler Murray did last night is pure justification for the fact that he is the best player in college football this year and maybe one of the best college football players we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we only got to see one one year of him as oh, yeah. the full-time starter, you know, and I remember when he uh he was at A&M, he started at A&M as a true freshman. Right. Um when they had Kenny Trill, if you remember that. <laughs> who ended up transferring to TCU as well. I, right. I don't know what was going on at A&M at that time. It was coming right out of the Manziel era, and yeah. there seemed to be some kind of dysfunction there with the quarterback situation. But I remember watching him, and I was like, this kid is a kid. He's a pinball. Like yeah. the, the way that he moves around the football field is second to none. I've never seen it before. The His amount of direction speed, is crazy. It's, it's crazy. Insane. Yeah, He can stop on a dime. He's so fast. He would be so electric to watch at the next level, but he's so small. He's only five foot 10. And for an NFL quarterback, I just don't see that happening. Right. Um, and I mean, he just looks small on the field. So my guess is he's going to go pro in baseball. It sounds like VAs are planning to start him at high single A. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to miss not seeing him on Saturdays and, uh, I mean, that's kind of the way that I left the game. I mean, that throw he had to to Rambo in the end zone for 49 oh yards. Oh, my gosh. Like, hey, it was just... Rambo didn't even have to slow down to catch that ball. And not yeah. only that, it was like a 55-yard throw in the air. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, and he... Pinpoint. He just kind of flicked his wrist, too. I mean, he's oh got he's got a cannon of an arm. Right. Um, Much in the but... way that Russell Wilson had a cannon. And, and, you know, another baseball player. He's similar to Russell... When he was in college, but when you look at Kyler Murray, 
and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was thick. I mean, he yeah. was a strong guy. Kyler, as you said, looks small. And I just can't imagine that transitioning in such a physical league as the NFL. Now, I would love to see it, but smart money is for him to make that jump to baseball. You know, injury-wise, and he could be an elite-level MLB player and just make, you know, gobs of money. And, and that's probably the right direction for him to take. But like you said, just that damn shame we didn't get to see more of him in college. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to you know, really dwell on Alabama's offensive performance. Like I said, I was not overly impressed. I mean, they did what I kind of thought they would do. It was really up right. to Oklahoma's defense to come out and and make a play. And and they they had a little stretch there where they were holding Alabama um you know in check, but they just weren't doing enough. They weren't turning the ball over. They weren't making enough plays for for them to win the game. And that's essentially what happened. And then o- Oklahoma obviously had to abandon the run entirely because they got down 28, nothing in the first quarter. So mm-hmm. that made right. them one dimensional, but Alabama knew that and still couldn't stop Murray, which to me makes that even more impressive. So yeah, agreed. Agreed. We've got Alabama Clemson going to the national championship. Something that really shocked me is Alabama is an early favorite over Clemson with six and a half points. That's, that's too much. That that seems aggressive to me, yeah. especially, you know, Tua proved to me in the SEC championship that he may struggle a little bit when going up against a top-level defense. Well, guess what? Right. Clemson ain't Oklahoma. So no. that is definitely something to watch. I like Clemson in the game. Um but that's that's for another day. We'll talk about that later this week as we are previewing that. Uh, something that else that really stood out to me was Nick Saban's attitude. He, uh, <laughs> if you're if you're just watching Nick Saban on the sideline, you think that he is getting beat like seventy to nothing, and I think that's why they they win because he is never satisfied. The right. the amount of pressure and attention to detail he has, like. There was an offensive lineman, I can't remember the guy's name, but he just he had like three plays in a row where he either false started or lined up wrong. Sure I thought did. Saban was going to run out onto the field and just choke him. Yep. He, he didn't, but just like that amount of detail and amount of passion you see out of Saban, you know, it, it wears thin on some people, but everybody wonders why Alabama's so good. It's because Nick Saban doesn't accept anything other than perfection. Yep, he demands it. But man, man, he was super sassy. I mean, this was this was one of his sassiest games as head coach. He was just not happy with anything and, and made sure he was voicing it to his players uh, more so than usual. But, um, you know, a lot on the line. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And so uh, some of the noise that, you know, I saw on Twitter quite a bit, this this was really in more related to the uh, Clips and Notre Dame game was it's a lot of noise about Georgia not being in the playoff. So I'll I'll make it pretty simple for you. I don't care what Georgia's strength of schedule was. I don't care what they looked like. They lost when it mattered and they lost twice. Notre Dame deserved to be to be there. Oklahoma deserved to be there. They ended up losing. The Notre Dame game was obviously terrible, but don't tell me that a team that's 12 and 0 doesn't deserve to be there when they're playing against 
you know, top 25 teams all year. Okay, yeah, they're not in the conference. They don't play in a conference championship game. Guess what? A lot of teams to get into the playoff don't. Alabama didn't play in the conference championship game last year. What did they do? Right. They played the Citadel. They had a week off. Mm-hmm. They got in. Then they won the national championship. Yep. So there's examples all over the place, but just the, the noise about Georgia being up, just shut up. No, I mean, look, you had you had your chance. And you have nobody to blame but yourself. There's no reason to feel slighted or upset. Literally, Georgia did this to themselves, and they didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff. You can talk about talent all you want, but the results on the field matter. And in your case, the results on the field weren't enough to get you to this point. So anything other than that is just salt coming from the Georgia fans. And, you know, I get being disappointed. And, you know, having lived in Georgia, I I have a lot of Facebook friends from Georgia. And man, some of those takes were extremely hot yesterday um, and into last night. So it is what it is. Georgia's on the outside looking in, rightfully so. Um, you know, and, and again, put the playoffs eight. Let's stop. Uh, let's stop flirting around with with doing it. Let's go ahead and make the playoffs eight, um, just for our own enjoyment. That's a totally selfish reason, but we need more playoff football games because I really do love them. Yeah, and that's something we talked about too on our, you know lost episode of the uh of the podcast but lost we'll uh, we'll definitely come back to that as well but yeah i agree expansion should be there but georgia basically had an, ex- an expanded playoff experience and they lost they lost so you know that's just the way it's gonna have to go there were four teams in the college football playoff this year with the combined two losses georgia had two by themselves why right. would they get in? they wouldn't and they shouldn't and they didn't sorry Okay, so jumping into the rest of our ACC bowls here, and let's just go in order of the way that uh, they were played. Sure. Maybe one of the best games of bowl season so far, Wake Forest over mm-hmm. Memphis in the Birmingham Bowl. This was uh, this was quite the game. Wake Forest ends up winning 37-34, which kind of blew me away. Memphis got up 28-10 early in the second quarter. But then it became the Jamie Newman show for Wake Forest. Yeah. Yeah, he he really impressed me and continues to impress me. I mean, his close to the regular season was impressive. Again, a guy with a Cam Newton body, um, extremely hard to tackle. He can make huge throws when he needs to. Um, Wake Forest has got a good one, especially moving into next year. They are um, sitting pretty. Again, Dorch was fantastic um, in the game. and. I just I, I can't say enough about what I saw from Wake Forest. Uh, they really, really sealed the deal. And I'm sorry, not Dorch. Alex Bachman is who I'm thinking of. Um, Alex Bachman was incredible. I think he almost had 200 yards receiving alone. Um, you know, coupled with the 300 from Jamie Newman was fantastic. Um, obviously, accuracy is going to be Jamie's biggest issue moving forward. Um, even though he only threw maybe one pick, it, he wasn't hitting quite a lot of his throws. And they were really throwing a whole lot. Um, you know, I, I think he ended up with almost 40 attempts. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Uh, but huge from them. I mean, huge, huge game from Wake. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Newman, he is a big dude. Big. I mean, and he is powerful. So I, I think you listen, Cam Newton's not an accurate passer and he's one of the most dangerous guys in the NFL when he's healthy. And so I, you know, I think Newman, he's a young guy, sophomore. Um, they got, they got some good things rolling there at Wake and, uh, a lot of, a lot of young talent on that team. It was Dave Clausen's 
third consecutive bowl victory at Wake Forest, third consecutive winning season. Um, and, you know, they, they've got a young team. They basically hadn't been in a bowl in five years until 2016. So the fact that they've won three bowl games in a row is pretty impressive. Um, and just the way that Newman just led this team, I mean, Right. And they got the go ahead touchdown with 34 seconds left in the game. Yeah. And leadership. Another big thing. Newman has looked like a really strong leader for that team. And before I got the names mixed up in the beginning, what I was going with Dorch with that hand injury not playing, you would have thought going in. I mean, it, I thought Memphis was the favorite with Dorch playing without Dorch. Yeah. I mean, you thought they were lost. And then Alex Bachman comes up with a cool seven receptions for 171 yards out of freaking nowhere. Um Man, what what a great game uh, for a guy like Alex Bachman, who's a senior, man. Just way to go out. And what a huge win for Wake Forest as a football program. Um, Norvell at Memphis continues to struggle in getting a, a win in a bowl game. Um, you know, so that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. And, uh, yeah, if you look at the conferences right now, um, not that it's very surprising, but the AAC has just embarrassed itself so far this year. Embarrassed itself. Yeah, it's, it's looked uh, – it's looked – pretty bad on uh in bowl season so that'll be something to watch tomorrow with uh virginia tech against cincinnati yes, so it will. Game i'm looking forward to let's move on to detroit and the quick lane bowl and this game really surprised me minnesota destroyed georgia tech <laughs> 34 to 10 and yeah if i told you that minnesota was going to outrush georgia tech you would have probably just laughed me off sure. of laughed me off of the podcast. But that's exactly what happened. Right. They were outrushed by I mean, Minnesota's running back, Muhammad Ibrahim, two hundred and twenty four yards, career high, two touchdowns. He outrushed Georgia Tech by himself. They only had two hundred and six yards on the ground. Absolutely insane. <laughs> this Ibrahim kid, redshirt freshman, big, powerful, reminds me a lot of Marion Barber, who mm -hmm. also played at Minnesota. Yes, he did. Uh, Minnesota's got a good one. And something else with Minnesota, 52% of their team is freshmen. So Fleck. P.J. Fleck has got Fleck. that program looking up. Georgia Tech, I think we're going to see them kind of fall into a lull here a little bit. Mm -hmm. Kind of a disappointing game for Paul Johnson in his last, last game as coach there. But uh, they open next year, first game on the ACC Network against Clemson. So good luck there, Jeff. Yeah, have fun with that. Um, you know, I have only a couple quick takes from this one. One, Fleck is sitting super pretty uh, moving forward, and he is a good coach. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Two, I completely blew the pick on this game. I thought Georgia Tech would win, and the opposite happened. Not only did they lose, yeah. they lost badly. You know when you're only going to complete seven passes from Minnesota that your running game is just through the roof. If you told me Minnesota would have seven pass completions and win the game, like you said, I no one would have believed that, but they did. Um, Ibrahim was absolutely a monster on the ground. And just as just a side note to all college football programs out there that want to chrome your helmets, stop. Just stop. Minnesota has one of the most beautiful shades of gold and yellow, whatever you want to call it. It's yellow to me, but people call it gold. In college football, their yellow helmet would have been such a classic to throw on. Instead, they go with a chrome gold, like, you know, like a chrome Notre Dame helmet. I, I don't understand. Yeah, that. I didn't like it. Anyway, I, uh, that's my old man yelling at the cloud moment. But come on, man. I don't hate all chrome helmets like Wake Forest's chrome helmet. No, I like a lot. But that's close to their shade. 
right? I mean, that's almost but that's Wake Forest gold. Notre Dame's chrome. I hate. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the same gold that they have had for years. Yep. Um, and I'm more of a matte finish guy. I like the matte look. Oh yeah. Opposed to the chrome or even like the, you know, glossy chrome helmet. I don't even, I don't even know what you call yeah. it, but yeah, and, I'm more of a matte finish guy. And that is your uh, fashion minute, brought to you by TJ yeah. Maxx. We hope. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean that uh, that game was kind of a bust for us. We both picked Georgia Tech, but uh, yeah. not as big of a bust as the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl. Mm. Uh, this game ended up getting canceled for weather in the Dallas area. Uh, probably the right call because there were storms pretty much the entire night in Dallas. Um, a lot of people had flights that were getting canceled up until like ten, eleven o'clock at night, and this game was early in the day yeah. so aj Dillon had gotten an early 19 yard touchdown to put bc up seven nothing but then the game was uh delayed shortly after they went an hour and a half and then they then they called it so pretty disappointing uh, especially the day after christmas a lot of prep missing the holidays with your family and then yeah. you start the game and you can't finish it so it was a shame and i was excited to see how boston college was going to play against boise state too so that was one i was really really pumped for and level-headed looking at it right decision to call it um even though at the time i was like hey why not you know it's early in the day why not wait and see if you know the weather cleared up but i I think looking back at what actually happened there really wasn't much of a chance there yeah and also the first ever bowl game to be canceled interesting well that was actually there being played huh so good to know all right, so next game on the docket, the Walk-Ons Independence Bowl. And, yes. Tim, you got this one right. I got it way wrong. Duke destroys Temple 56-27 after being down 27-14 early, and then it was all Duke after that. Yes, and Daniel Jones looks like the second coming of Patrick Mahomes, throwing from awkward angles and and fighting for victory and just with a gunslinger mentality going out there and throwing 41 times. This is, this is what I've wanted to see from Daniel Jones all year. It's fantastic. This is what he's capable of. And I haven't checked, but I just know he's shooting up draft boards right now. He has to be. Um, the guy's got the size. He's got the physical ability. Um, I think he could be a pretty good NFL quarterback. Um, and you know, not to steal, a. Uh, you know, a theme or a, a, a skit from from another show. Um, but if I'm handing out a helmet sticker, TJ Roming, man, good gracious, what a game that guy had. Um, you know, his long 85-yard touchdown reception kind of blew the game open. But good Lord, Temple could not get close to covering him. Just what a game from Duke. Yeah, it was it was really odd because, you know, Temple looked like they came to play. They were obviously up. And then Duke just outscored him 35 nothing in the second half. Yep. And Daniel Jones, 423 yards, five touchdowns, did have the two picks. But, man, like you said, hucking it. I think he is shooting up draft boards. And I, I think I said this earlier in the week. Justin Herbert going back to Oregon, I think that does nothing but help Daniel Jones. He is a junior. He can return. Duke mm-hmm. opens the season next year against Alabama. Maybe that's something that he wants a shot at. I don't know. But to me right now, Daniel Jones, after that performance, his stock is higher than it may ever be. Because right. like you said, he didn't he didn't have this type of 
swag throughout the year. And we were all kind of waiting for it. He was banged up earlier in the year. I think it was a collarbone injury, which could have been affecting that a little bit. But right. it's a fairly weak quarterback class. He could sneak into the first round. I wouldn't be shocked. Man, easily. He looked loose. I mean, he was having fun out there. That that Daniel Jones right there uh, would have given Ryan Finley a, a, a run for his money um, as the first team All ACC quarterback had he had been had shown up a little earlier. And like you said, maybe it was something to do with the collarbone that kind of you know threw him off. But strike while the iron's hot, you know. I, I imagine he'll make that jump only because this year's quarterback class is so weak. Um, yeah. So good game for the ACC there. Moving on to a not so good ACC game, <laughs> the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Wisconsin 35, Miami 3, and the story of this game was pretty simple for me. There were three things I noticed. One, Miami is in desperate need of a quarterback. Uh, turnovers uh, killed Miami, and Jonathan Taylor is a monster. Right. So, you know, there was a lot of noise. You know, there was talk of Jaron Williams wanting to transfer, and I thought he was until I was corrected. Uh, about that earlier earlier this week, but he's coming back. If you're a Miami fan, are you not concerned that Jaron Williams couldn't beat out Malik Rogier or Nikosi <laughs> Perry? Because I would be very concerned. I wouldn't be so mad that he's not playing. I'd be frightened that he's not good enough to beat out one of these, we'll call them quarterbacks, because these right. guys are terrible. They're terrible. No, they're they're awful. The answer to that position is not currently on the roster. Otherwise, it would have risen to the top by now. Um, there's that scene in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark where the Ark is opened and that like Nazi creepy guy's face just melts. And like that was me, but a much slower version of me watching that quarterback play during this game. It was just, atrocious. Just what's what's going on? With the Miami, why can't that? Why can't they get a quarterback in Miami? I mean, I don't know. If you look at know. Mark Drake's history at at, uh, at Georgia, you know he had guys like David Green, DJ Shockley, mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford, Aaron Murray. Those are all very good quarterbacks. Yeah, some went on to have very yeah mediocre, I'll say, NFL career. A lot of money getting paid out to Stafford, though. Right. But I mean, now Ricks can't even recruit his own nephew to the school. So. <laughs> What what the hell's going on? And then we saw Jack Allison, a transfer that went to West Virginia. He got his first career start in the game we'll talk about next. And, you know, it's like, so we, we've got fairly high-level recruits either wanting to transfer. Jaron Williams right. was the number one dual-threat quarterback in the country last year, I believe. Right. And he can't beat out Rogier or Perry. I mean, Perry... I've never been high on Perry. I think he is terrible. He's obviously a guy who's not super intelligent if he is sending Snapchats of people having sex, mm-hmm. uh, which is why he was suspended or benched for most of this game. He did get in yeah. in the fourth quarter. So, man, I mean, this game to me, Manny Diaz's last game as defensive coordinator, he's moving on to Temple as head coach. Mark Richt is officially on the hot seat after this one. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I mean, you take out Malik Rozier's one, you know, 50 plus yard run. I'm not sure they would even have eclipsed 100 yards or 80 yards for that matter. Total offense. It was 
brutal. And Rick continues to uh, sort of seem like a Stone Age hedge coach in, in, in the modern era. It's not looking good. Um, and a lot of the complaints that the Georgia fans had about him, he seemed to uh, carry over to Miami to this point. So he's got a lot of pressure on on him right now to fix. Somebody's got to be able to fix Miami football at some point. That They recruit too well to be as bad as they have been. Well, and in the, and the last year part. really was buoyed by a weak schedule. I mean, last year right. you really can't even say was a true reflection of what that program was. But now the best part of their team, the the leader of that unit is leaving. Right. I mean, they were all about defense last year. So hey, I was glad to see the uh, the turnover chain come out one last time. Not mm-hmm. really, but hey, great <laughs> job. Uh, I mean, getting down to it, Wisconsin looked like. Uh, sleeping giant Jonathan mm-hmm. Taylor, man, over 4,000 rushing yards in his first two years at Wisconsin. He's only a sophomore. He's on the early Heisman watch for next year. Yeah. He eclipsed 2,000 yards on the year in this game at 205 yards on the ground and a touchdown. I mean, he's a stud. Uh, Jack Cohn filled in for an injured Alex Hornibrook. He mm-hmm. 73 yards through the air, touchdown in the pick. So it was really the Jonathan Taylor show and the you Wisconsin don't, don't defense. You have to do anything. Play. Yeah, a, a quarterback at Wisconsin is the the most relaxed position in the world. You can halfway show up for most of your games, and, and your chance of winning isn't isn't really diminished a whole lot with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, so yeah, there's uh, there's definitely I don't know if we're hitting the panic button on Miami yet. If you're a Miami fan, but there's definitely a lot of uh, angst around that program right now. So. Yeah, well, I mean, you started top 10, you had a super weak coastal division, and you went seven and six to finish the year. That's real bad. And uh, yeah, Ricked, it's not panic button time yet, but another season like this, and, you know, he's heading firmly into the following season on the hot seat. Uh, and then we had the Camping World Bowl, Syracuse over West Virginia, 34 to 18. So first 10 win season for Syracuse since 2001. They'll finish in the top 25 for the first time since 2001. And uh, sadly, this was the final time we'll see Eric Dungy put on a Syracuse uniform. He did pass Ryan Nassib for the all-time passing record at the school, uh, which is now 9,340 yards. He had over 300 yards in the game, touchdown, did throw two picks. But uh, yeah, I mean, this game was really close, and then Syracuse just uh, started to pull away there towards towards the end. So it was really a, a game of trading field goals, which makes me think if Will Greer had been in the game, things might have gone a little bit differently. Yeah, Not that Jack Allison played terrible, no. but, uh, I mean, first career start, had only thrown 10 or 11 passes in his entire career before that. So that was a lot to ask for him to, to come in in that kind of situation, but... Hey, great uh great year for Syracuse. They were picked to finish last in the uh ACC Atlantic. Uh proved everybody wrong. Uh, great career for Eric Dungey. Hopefully we'll get to see him at the next level. I mean, he's he's a monster. Um as far as a uh, from a physical standpoint, I think if he gets into the right system, we might we might see him in the NFL somewhere. Yeah, what what a great quarterback. I know I've gushed over him on a previous podcast, but sad to see him go. He was one of my favorite non-Virginia Tech players um, in the ACC. Just a fantastic warrior back there at the quarterback position. And his interview uh, was real sad at the end of the game. Um, you know, real grateful for what Syracuse had done for him. 
um, and really just a staple. One of those guys in the ACC that you feel like has been playing for five or six years at this point. Um, but yeah, great game from him, over 300 yards. Andre Cisco, our boy, um, you know, nine tackles leading the leading the defense in tackles. And, uh, you know, Syracuse is in a good place with Dino Babers right now. Dino Babers is a top 25 coach in college football. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see him do a little bit better on the recruiting trail. Sure. Um, I think they're pulling in a top 50 class right now. So I think they'll need to do a little bit better in order to compete consistently. Mm-hmm. I think next year is a big year for Syracuse because in the two years leading up to this year, they were 4-8. and eight. So now they had their 10-win season. What do they do to replace Eric Dungy? And what do they do going forward? So they have to find the next quarterback. Mm-hmm. They have to start winning consistently, which I think they will do. Yeah. Um, well, but here, I think they need to- here's the thing. And we had another mirror image of the Syracuse program last year with, with NC state. NC state finally had a big uh, season under Dave Doran, but going into the following year, they lost virtually everything on the defensive line. Um, tons of talent all over the board on the NFL, uh, you know, question marks going into the season, had to replace a couple offensive linemen, literally had nobody left in their backfield coming back. Um, and they answered with a stronger season than the season before with all of that NFL talent. Um, and you can see what that's done for NC State from a program standpoint, where their recruiting has continued to build and pick up. That momentum is maintained. They finished the season here with a chance, uh, you know, to have another 10 win season and, and have a great year. Um, that's where Syracuse is now. I mean, Dave Dorn's kind of got that out of the way. He's proven to win consistently. Now we're going to see if Syracuse can win consistently. And, and like you said, that's the next answer that I think a lot of recruits are going to be looking for. Um, if you can get that consistency, I think you will start to see that recruiting pick up. And even though the Northeast is a tricky area to recruit um, because they don't have quite the high school talent that they do down south or um, you know on the West Coast. So we'll see. But I think Dino runs a system where he can still have some success, even if his recruiting classes are middling up a little bit. Yeah, somewhere else we're starting to see that consistency pay off is University of Virginia. Yep. And they absolutely destroyed South Carolina 28 to nothing. Yes. Only the sixth shutout all time from an ACC team in, uh, in bowl game history. And the one thing that I thought was really funny with this, Will Muschamp earlier in you know, up leading up to this game, it said that they were preparing for this game like it was the national championship. Well, Will, if that was the case, I'd hate to see what a national championship performance would look like because you got absolutely embarrassed yeah. in front of a national audience. Yeah. It's bad. It's it's not it's not good. Um Muschamp continues to have struggles on the offensive side of the ball, getting that ship righted. I'm not sure how you have a system in which Jake Bentley will go 17 for 14 um, with two interceptions. UVA's pass defense is not that good. Um, not good enough, I don't think, to to really stifle your offense and hold them to zero points. Something's not right there, especially if that prep was truly uh, playoff worthy. Um, but UVA, Broncos got them trending in the right direction and it's it's with you know a, a team that's not full of his own guys um he's recruiting guys that that he would like to see on his team and, and in theory you would expect the success to continue to trend in the right direction great leader in Bryce Perkins completely dynamic um 
you know, not a, a ton of yards, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of touchdowns, and you get him back next season. Um, man, UVA is in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this was a huge win for the UVA program. Yeah, back to back bowl games, first time since two thousand five, first bowl win since two thousand five, and uh, you know, they've got that little smashing the rock tradition going on. If you saw that after the game, I don't know where that started. Um, I thought. <laughs> I thought that was like a preseason thing sure. for how they were going to beat Virginia Tech, which is, I think, the first rock that was smashed this year, which you know, didn't end up working out in their favor. But they, uh, Bryce, Bryce Perkins is the real deal. Yeah. You know, yeah. 208 yards through the air, three touchdowns, also added 81 on the ground. He is coming back next year. UBA is going to be a tough out next year. Yeah, they and will. Perkins. You know, said after the game, they want to win an ACC championship. I think that's probably a little optimistic, but I do think they might be the favorite to win the Coastal in the preseason. Yeah, it's, I, it's I a good chance. You know, their their big issue is going to be, okay, how do you replace uh, Zacchaeus's playmaking ability on the offensive side of the ball? Because they don't really have dynamic playmakers outside of him, I would say. That's not to say there's somebody buried on the roster right now or a recruit coming in that might change things. Um, but that will have to be answered by them in short order. Um, and I guess depending on what Bryce Hall does, they, they may have some issues in the secondary. But um, yeah, they're, they're yeah, he's coming back. He is coming back. Yeah, he's returning. OK, well, good. I mean, they're in a nice spot then to continue to play uh, Bronco ball and uh, eke it by. But I think Zacchaeus plays such an important role for that team because he is the one guy who can really blow open those long plays. He's dynamic in space. and. Um, really showed out during that bowl game. I mean, he it seemed like he was touching the ball every five seconds. So big win for them, big win for the ACC. And uh, yeah, the SEC looking a little funny in the light there. Yeah, you know, I don't really care who the ACC team is. Whenever we beat an SEC school, I love it. I'll 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 lead that up all day, yeah. even if it's Virginia, which obviously I. Uh, you know, not not the biggest fan of, but hey, they they took care of business yesterday. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely trending in the right direction. Um, so they are uh, they're a team to watch going forward. Amen. Blanca's got yeah. them got them looking up. Uh, so some of the remaining ACC bowls that we got coming up, we've got the Military Bowl December thirty first, uh, Virginia Tech Cincinnati. So I'm I'm interested to see what Virginia Tech team shows up, um, especially against a high-powered offense like Cincinnati. But as we mentioned earlier, AAC hasn't looked great. Uh, we've also got the Sun Bowl with Sanford and Pitt, and then ending the day from an ACC perspective with I think will be a really good game, uh, NC State against Texas A&M yeah. in the Gator Bowl. So yeah, we, it's man, this is the best part of the year when all these bowls start coming fast and heavy, and you can sit on the couch from 12 until, you know, 11 o'clock at night and just get nothing but college football force fed to you like an IV drip. Um, we got to enjoy it because it's coming to a close soon. It's sad. It's a great swan song, but it's, it's, it's coming to an end. I hope the ACC can continue looking good in these bowl games. I think it's interesting, you know, the, the, and I certainly bought into this, uh, whole trope that the ACC was having a huge down year outside of Clemson. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from success from teams like Pitt, who really was a, you know, I think they were a bit of a fraud. But NC State, Florida State being down, Louisville being down, you kind of get this image that, you know, the ACC is just a complete dumpster fire. Um, 
but you know we're looking we're looking pretty good in these bowl games and uh you know when you have teams like wake doing what they did i think it sends a, a statement about the depth of your conference yeah i think that's kind of where the acc's at uh I wouldn't even say they're top heavy. They have one elite school in the conference right now right. Uh, from a program standpoint. And then they've got a bunch of pretty good to average football teams. There's not a lot of bottom feeders in the ACC. Uh, <clears throat> Louisville is obviously terrible. <laughs> but outside of Louisville, I mean, any ACC team could beat any program in the country on any given day. So... Obviously, some would have a better chance than others, but I think the depth of the conference looks pretty good. We need to start seeing some of those programs start taking the next level. I think we'll see Virginia do that next year. I think Virginia Tech will do that. I think NC State will do that. And then we'll have like a couple of, I don't know where they're at, with like Syracuse and Miami. So I think the health of the conference is is looking looking pretty good oh i agree i think we're in a good spot and i'm super excited to see how some of these teams that are poised to explode next year from a talent standpoint from a growth standpoint you could really see a situation where the acc turns a strong bowl season into just a continued period of of high level conference football play um and i'm looking forward to it you know and you know, people, I think, are starting to realize that Clemson does what they do in the ACC because Clemson is like no one else other than Alabama. Um, it's Alabama and Clemson, full stop, and then everybody else at the moment. Um, I think yeah. I think Clemson's success had been seen as, oh, well, the ACC is down. Um, and it, that may or may not be the case, but moving forward, I think you will see that uh, that kind of talking point fade off to the wayside as the ACC does continue to get stronger. Yeah, so here's a quick update on our Chowder and Grits shirt bet. I am three and five, you're four and four. Hey. And the only difference that we have remaining are in the military bowl. I've got Virginia Tech, you've got Cincinnati. I hope you're happy with yourself. <laughs> I feel careful about it. Confidence is waning. And the uh we got the Fiesta Bowl. So I went with the defending national champs, UCF, and you have LSU. Go Tigers. Uh, so yeah, then, um, let's go ahead and wrap up. So any, any shout outs you want to want to hand out? Um, yeah, no, no real specific shout outs other than I want to shout out the entire ACC. Keep up the good work. I'm not, uh, you know, a conference diehard like some SEC fans tend to be, but I like my conference to be strong. Um, gives us a lot to talk about. And so I think the ACC has looked really good, um, since they've started bowl season sitting at five and two. Um, with some big wins. And, you know, I think really Miami was the only one that I kind of felt like had no chance of winning a bowl game. So that happened. And Georgia Tech really, you know, didn't honor Paul Johnson in the way he deserved. Um, but it's okay. Sit at five and two. Shout out to the ACC for uh, having a good bowl season so far. And may it continue. Yeah, I got to tell you, I've been to uh, three neutral site ACC versus SEC games two of which Virginia Tech against Alabama and one Virginia Tech against Tennessee at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, Virginia Tech is 0-3 in those games. And uh, every single time I left the stadium hearing SEC, SEC, <laughs> SEC. So let me tell you, on January 7th, ACC, baby, all day, 
I will be the biggest ACC drum beater in the history of the world. All in on Clemson. I think they're going to pull the upset, if you call it that. Clemson over Alabama, we will highlight that later in the week. Uh, I do want to give one shout out to our friends at West Point. Our man beat Houston 70 to 14. Oh, man. Now, this was a game I did not have the chance to see. I was driving throughout the country. And I went to go check on, you know, some of the scores throughout the day. And, uh, yeah, I had to do a double take at this one. To put up 70 points is impressive. To do so in a bowl game against a pretty good Houston team, even more so. And Kelvin Hopkins Jr., 170 yards rushing, five touchdowns. Army had 507 yards rushing on the ground. That's incredible. It sounds like that may have been the last straw for Houston's major Applewhite. Sounds like he's going to be fired. And uh, they're going after Dana Holgerson, which to me is comical. <laughs> yeah. Why you would leave West Virginia to go to Houston? I, I think Houston is maybe a little bit confused about where they stand in the whole college football landscape. Ah, man, Houston, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. There are so many guys out there that run those high-flying offenses that you like that aren't Dana Holgerson. Um, why go after him? And and that seems like a complete pipe dream. I have no idea. But maybe I don't understand what kind of funding Houston has available for their next head coach. Um, well, they're a Texas school, yeah. so I'm sure they have plenty of funding. Yeah. But they're a second-tier Texas school Yeah. as far as a football program is concerned. I mean, let's let's be honest. They're... They're an afterthought in the state of Texas. So to think that they're going to go and land a Dana Holgerson type from a Big 12 program. That's crazy. Um, They're fighting Jeff Munkins, though, man. Good gravy. What a good year they've had. Yeah, I think that that was their 11th win, I believe. And to say Army is getting 11 wins in a season where they have been over the past 20 years is nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a team that also took – Oklahoma to right. the brink. I mean, right. Oklahoma had to beat them in overtime. Gosh. So wow, yeah, huge, uh, huge year for Army. Huge bowl victory. Um, but I think that is going to do it for us today. Don't forget, visit chowderandgrits.com. Go send us a question. Fill out that mailbag. We want to start answering some of your questions. Shoot us an email at chowderandgrits at gmail.com. And then, of course, listen to us. We're on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Google Play Store, and Spotify, Facebook and Twitter, Chowder and Grits. Hit us up. Happy New Year, everybody. Be safe out there. Go ACC. Tim, I guess I'll talk to you when, when we're in 2019. That sounds good. And remember, recruiting coming to a close. It's time to commit. Commit to the Chowder and Grits podcast. Sign your national letter of intent. We're accepting all comers. Subscribe. Have a happy new year. And we look forward to uh, talking to you guys next year. 